Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Dodger fan. Again, I hate to do it, but they do pay me to do it, so here it is. Let me ask you the same question I asked you exactly 24 hours ago. How y'all living right now? Pretty crappy, I'm guessing. Because for all of that talk of Cody Bellinger possibly flipping this series on its head in Game 3... Atlanta came right back and hit the Dodgers with a pile driver into a folding table. For all that talk about Bellinger and company rolling in a Benz, the ATL fired up Gravedigger and drove all over them and backed up over them and ran over them again. And they didn't wait very long to do it either. See, that's the thing about momentum. Everybody talks about momentum in sports. Momentum lasts only as long as you keep it. And for the Dodgers, they barely had it once Game 4 started. They had it, and then the Braves immediately ripped it right back from them. No balls, two strikes. And that ball's hit well into left field, turning and running is Taylor at the track, the wall, she's gone! Eddie Rosario with a home run, opposite field smash, and the Braves strike first. Yeah, right, there's your momentum, right there. And then it got even worse for the Dodgers when Adam Duvall followed him with one of his own bombs. When he was logging multiple innings, that ball's high and deep in the left center field. Duvall gives it a ride, and this one's going to fly! Adam Duvall with a home run! The Braves go back-to-back, and now you really start to feel the screws tightening. Gonzo, two flat, fat fastballs, two home runs, down 2-0. And you could tell at that point that Urias just did not have it. Just did not have it. Credit to Atlanta, though. These dudes are cold-blooded. Absolute assassins. They get their hearts ripped out on Tuesday night. Then they come back last night and they bludgeon L.A. in every way possible. To once again quote the late great Pat Tillman, that was a nice, swift ass kicking. Nice, swift ass kicking. And it wasn't just at the plate. They were doing it in the field too. Like when Gavin Lux put a charge into one in the bottom of the second. Lux again thought that he left the yard. He thought it was gone the second he barreled that one up. Duvall, however, seemed to know and act like that ball never had a chance of leaving the yard. That's the teammate right there. Now Lux gets into one. He thinks he got it. That's way back. And this one is going to be caught. Duvall, what a catch. Twice now, Gavin Lux thought he had hit one out to left center. Huge play by Adam Duvall. This will not be the first reference to a package blast. But that was a blast to the package for L.A. Like, that was L.A.'s chance to get into the game, get that crowd going, because that crowd that had that joint rocking in a way that I've never seen on Tuesday was starting to feel like a morgue only a day later. And it was because of plays like that from Duvall. I mean, that was grim. And then it only got worse from there. That fight went to the ground. And then the Braves started landing hammer fists at will. And the Dodgers were unable to defend themselves. And there was no ref to step in to stop that bludgeoning. Like, I know Dodger Jano was beside herself. And especially when Freddie Freeman walked to the dish with a bat in his hands. That rarely is a good thing for the guys on the other side. Two and one to Freeman. And a high fly ball into right field. Got some carry to it. 
Betts is back at the wall, and this one is gone. The Atlanta Braves with the long ball. Freddie Freeman this time, third solo home run of the night. I mean, on the one hand, I'm thinking to myself, man, somebody pull these guys off Urias because he's not himself. But on the other hand, right, please, someone call someone. There's a mess on aisle four. There's a mess on the bump. 60 feet, six inches away. Except I know you, Dodger fan. You probably were telling yourself, yeah, all right, he's not right. He looks nothing like the 20-game winner that he is. He's obviously not right because they've asked him to take the ball for the fourth time in 11 days. But the silver lining is, although he can't keep anybody in the yard, these are all solo blasts. And it's not like L.A. has not come back on them before. It's not like they didn't come back on them on Tuesday. It's not like they didn't come back on them last year when they were down three games to one. It's not like they weren't down to their last five outs. They've been there before. They've done this before. In other words, they're the champs. They don't panic. They don't rattle. You don't throw dirt on these guys. I.E. We good. If you're a Dodger fan, I can absolutely see where you would be telling yourself all of that. And if you did, you were absolutely wrong because you absolutely were not good. We ain't good. Man, that matchup looks so good on paper, too. I got to admit, not even as, quote, Dodger Jim. On paper, it looked good. A 20-game winner versus the Braves coming off a gut-wrenching loss and having to go to the bullpen game. And they're in L.A. And L.A.'s got its mojo back. It looked awesome. I'll admit it. I felt great about that going in until I saw what Urias had or didn't have. Next thing you know, a fight breaks out at the Braves' bat rack with dudes giving each other the hands in order to get in line to get a shot at the 20-game winner. But it's not all on him, right? He was not alone. Like, what I'm saying to you is the Dodgers picked a really bad time to have a really bad game. Like, there was Lux again getting stuck in no man's land on a ball that allowed a run to score. One and two in the air center field off the end of the bat. Coming in fast, Lux cannot get there. A base hit. Rosario will score. Ball right off the end of the bat from Peterson. And remember, we talked about Dave Roberts saying to his center fielder, don't be careful. Problem is, like, in a situation like that, and I'm not going to kill the kid for it. I mean, he has almost no experience in center field. But when you have a situation like that and you've got a kid who's got like no experience in center field, the ball will find him. It always does. And it did. So easy to say also, he should have given himself up. He should have dove for the ball in that circumstance. But if he dives and he misses, then everybody kills him for that too. And I do get why he's out there. It just did not pay off last night. You know, nerds, gunna nerd nerds gonna look at their spreadsheets and then nerds are going to out nerd themselves sometimes you know kind of like I understand why the Dodgers will how do I put this how do I say I understand why they got creative with their pitching this postseason but that's not working out either is it like you got Max Scherzer coming out of the bullpen against the Giants and then Max even Max Scherzer red ass badass that he is has a dead arm in game two Walker Bueller goes on short rest against the Giants and then long rest against Atlanta. Urias out of the bullpen the last two games and then had nothing when they needed him most. Like, it makes sense given how much they've had to go to this guy in the last two weeks. What I'm saying is, in addition to nerds gonna nerd, 
and sometimes nerd craps out, they rolled the dice. And their three aces, Scherzer, Bueller, Urias, have allowed 13 runs in 14 innings. Like nobody, even the biggest second guessers of all time, could have seen that happening. And then I can't even put it all on them. Like, it's not like the offense has been picking up their pitchers either. They've scored more than four runs once in this series. And most of that was on one swing of a bat by a guy who admitted he didn't even know why he swung at that pitch. So the offense sucking is not a new thing. It's an entire postseason thing. L.A. has scored more than four runs just three times total in this postseason. So why am I going so hard on this? Why am I going on and on about this? I'm trying to show you I am not Dodger Jim. I'm letting you know how it is. I'm giving the Braves their credit, and I'm calling into question some of the things the Dodgers have done. Like, credit. you can say all you want. Thank you, Philip. Thanks for finally having my back, Philip. You can say all... Philip? You can say all you want about whether analytics... Thank you. Alvin? Philip? Alvin, Philip, you can say all you want about whether analytics-driven decisions have wrecked the Dodgers pitching, but the hitters have been far worse. I mean, they've just been terrible. You cannot win in the postseason if you don't score runs. You see, that's why they pay me the big money for takes like that. You cannot win in the postseason if you don't score runs. Not, thank you, Alvin. Alvin, Philip, when you're facing mashers like the Braves. And as if that crap sandwich of a game weren't bad enough for Dodger fans, then they get this too. On the crowd, got a chance to turn two here. It'll be Alves by himself. And a double play, and Turner is hurt. Turner has been playing with a bad hamstring. It got him right there. He pulled up about three quarters of the way up the line. And we might have seen the last of Justin Turner in this NLCS. And 53,000 at Dodger Stadium go into a hush. Tough to watch. I'd say. Look, I know Justin Turner has not been himself in this series, but you always have the hope that, man, he just, if this guy can get into one, just one, that can give the offense a charge. But not anymore. Now he's done. Now there's no Justin Turner, no Max Muncie, no Clayton Kershaw. The Dodgers are deep, but they're not that deep. Nobody is. And now they're down three games to one. And yes, I know they were down three games to one last year against Atlanta. But nothing about this Dodger team feels like that Dodger team. And more importantly, nothing about this Braves team feels like that Braves team. The Braves now are all swag and confidence. And the Dodgers are missing key pieces and running on fumes. And now tonight, with the entire season on the line, they have to go with a a bullpen game themselves. Well, the Braves get to run their horse, Max Fried, out there to finish off the world champs. What I am saying is, Dodger fan, I would love to tell you you're good. Everything's going to be just fine. Now is not the time to panic. But the fact is, it doesn't look good, and now would be a really good time to panic. So let me drop some numbers on you. Scary numbers. Two out of three men will experience some form of hair loss by the time they are 35. More than 50 million men in the U.S. suffer from male pattern baldness, and there are only two FDA-approved medications that can prevent hair loss. Keeps offers both. So why don't we talk for a minute about Keeps? Keeps 
offers a simple, stress-free way to keep your hair. Convenient virtual doctor consultations and medications delivered right to your door every three months so you do not have to leave your home. And low-cost treatments starting at only 10 bucks per month and keeps offers generic versions. On top of that, discreet packaging and proven results. Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of the competition. But here's something you got to keep in mind. Prevention is key. Treatments can take four to six months to see results, so you want to move on this right now. If you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash Rome. Get your first month of treatment for free. That's keeps.com slash Rome. And get your first month free, keeps.com slash Rome. Kevin Byard is my guest. Kevin, it's great to have you on. How are you? I'm doing excellent. How about yourself, Jim? Good, good, Kevin. Great to visit with you. You got that big game coming up on Sunday, but if we could go back for a minute to that win over Buffalo, so many different parts of that game I want to talk to you about, but overall, just how big of a win over a great team in prime time was that for your crew? You know, it was a huge win for us. I mean, obviously, you're talking about prime time, Monday Night Football, home stadium uh, against an electric team, probably, you know, was the best team, or if not one of the best teams in the league. You know, you're talking about power rankings and stats and stuff like that. It was just a huge one for us, a huge confidence booster. Um, but, you know, it, it was definitely great to be 1-0 that week, and we're just trying to be 1-0 this week against another explosive offense, another explosive team in the Kansas City Chiefs. Kevin Byard is joining us right now. With the team trailing 13-10 to in the second quarter, you had an enormous INT to set up a TD. Can you take me back for one moment? What were you seeing and reading on that play? Yeah, you know, just a – you know, basic cover three concept on defense. Um, you know, I was just able to, you know, really read the quarterback, read his eyes, seeing the back kind of leak out uh, towards the end, realizing that was his check down. I really didn't have any other work uh, to cover. So I just had, a, you know, great vision and breaking. And, you know, honestly, I have to give more credit uh, to Danico Archer, who actually caused um, the, the tip pass, and I was able to step in front and make a play. Uh, trying to get in the end zone there, but kind of got mauled by the offensive line there. So, Hopefully, next time I get a pick, I'll be in the end zone. I hear you. I'm trying to get to the next game, but there were so many amazing things about that game. For instance, that defensive stand, Kevin, to win the game, you're in pursuit on third down when Josh Allen dives. He comes up just short of the first down marker. So what was going through your head on that fourth down play when they did decide to go for it? Yeah, so at first, I thought it was the first down. And from what I was told, that they radio from New York or something like that to fix the call on the field. So once I seen it was fourth down, you know, obviously, defense, we're trying to get our substitutions in to get in the right uh, personnel. And at the time, it was kind of a little bit of scramble. So I actually called timeout, which I normally don't do. And, you know, normally, if a player calls timeout on the field, Ray was pretty mad at us. But it was actually a, a clutch situation. So I called timeout. We was able to get the personnel we need to get out there. And we have, like, the fire alarms going off in our facility. So I don't know what's going on. But, uh, yeah. At the end of the day, um, just just a big stop, you know. Talking about resilience, being a resilient bunch of uh, of guys on the team. Actually, the previous week we got a big goal line stop in Jacksonville, so that was something that we reverted back to on the field. Like, hey, defend every blade of grass, and we end up doing that on that play. Dude, I'm kind of like ambivalent. I I hate for you to have to bust out on me with that fire alarm going. I like the way that you're playing through that thing right now. Are we in a good spot? Can we keep talking right here? Yeah, I mean, I don't. Usually, it might be a false alarm. If somebody runs in here and say, I got to go, then we'll have to go. I'll respect that. <laughs> Kevin Byard is joining us. You know, you're well, right. You go. It just went off, so we're good. Good, man. Nice. You played right through it. This is what I'm saying, man. You guys don't blink. That's another example <laughs> of that. Not at all. What's it say about that defense that you bowed up the way you did and came up that huge in that moment to win that game? Does that speak to the culture, the mentality of that defense? 
Absolutely. It speaks to the character of our entire team. You know, we were down in that game. You see, I think it was like seven lead changes. You know, we're just not a group of front runners. We're a team that we're battle-tested. I think I seen a stat yesterday that we have like 13 come-from-behind wins in the fourth quarter. Uh, just, just the character of the team, the kind of guys we have in the locker room, we just don't bend, we don't fold. And we understood the game plan going into it that, you know, it was, kind of, it was going to be a bend but don't break uh, defensive game. And once they get down to the red zone, we was going to have to stop them. And I think that was probably the biggest phase of the game was being great in the red zone. They only scored two touchdowns out of five trips. And you think about early in the game where they actually drove the ball on us. It was able to force two field goals, so it was 6-0. And then Derrick Henry bust a big run, and now we're up 7-6. So uh, we're definitely key in those clutch situations. All right, so that's exactly where I was going next. Like, I asked you about the defense, and I like the way you answered that by saying it's actually it's about the entire team. It's the toughness of the Absolutely. entire team. And you mentioned Derrick Henry. I mean, if you go back to earlier in the game, when he broke off that run you mentioned, 76-yard touchdown run, on the one hand, Kevin, you're probably not surprised by that. But at the same time, when you see that and you see the big fella get rolling like that, does the defense – also feed off of that honestly it's funny because like you said it really doesn't surprise me anymore like for some guys obviously you know every single year you have new guys going to come up to the team but and they get super excited when they see a big guy run but I'm sitting on the sideline like every time he runs the ball he has a chance to go so when he broke I mean obviously I was thinking like damn this guy's running super fast but at the same time just sitting on the bench like well there's David Henry running for another big 70 yard 80 yard whatever run and I'm just pretty – it was just calm because I think I've been spoiled by so many over the years. I mean, this guy's just an incredible athlete, uh, definitely built different. Guys want to talk about his workload and stuff like that. I mean, the guy was run, rushing for – he ran for 12,000 yards in high school. He, we all know the career he had in college. So, I mean, he just built different, man. Just a different type of cat. Different type of cat. <laughs> Dude, he is a different kind of cat that is built differently. And not only that, I mean, never mind the workload. Like you said, he was going fast. Like, my man got up to nearly 21 miles per hour. One thing to be able to stiff arm anybody to the center of the earth. Another to run for 12K in high school and just have that workload. But to see it do that big move that quickly, what's that look like in real time? Man, it, 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 honestly, it looks special. And then, honestly, sometimes the way he, when he's running, it doesn't really look like he's running that fast. But once you compare it to everybody else on the field that may be, you know, about to pull a hamstring, I mean, he's just striding and he just, you know, it, you know, the way his legs, you know, his legs start getting up there. I mean, he just start coming around. You're like, man, this guy's really running fast. And so, I mean, you just kind of see, man, this guy is not built like an average athlete. I mean, he's bigger than every single one of our linebackers on our team. The only guy that's probably bigger than is our D. He's, Who's bigger than him is our D tackles. I mean, like you said, I mean you can load up the box as much as you want. Every team knows what the game plan, defensive game plan going against us is going to be, and he continues to have success. So just happy that he's on my team. That is great. Kevin Byer joining us. Now, you were PFF's highest graded safety through the first five games. You've had some great years in the league, including when you led the league in INTs. But I could make the argument that you're playing the best ball of your career right now. Would you agree mm-hmm. with that argument? Does it feel, does it feel that way to you? Yeah, honestly, I definitely feel like even even the year where, you know, I had interceptions and I was, you know, Pro Bowl year and stuff like that, you know, even watching the film and, you know, as I evaluate myself at the end of every season, I felt like I had so much more to add to my game. But I think now this year, you know, I just feel like I'm playing a lot free. I'm flying around, making plays, doing what I can. And on a leadership standpoint, I've grown so much being in that leadership position leading the you know younger uh, defensive back group just leading the entire team and you know just trying to continue to be better man I'm just trying to chase improvement you know I don't get too caught up on the PFF scores it's so funny that you know as players we kind of joke about the PFF and it's like 
you only really pay attention to it when it's something good. But when it's something bad, everybody's like, well, you know, PFF doesn't mean anything. So, you know, I'm just trying to chase improvement every single week. We're talking to Kevin Byard. All right, so Sunday, you've got Kansas City. It's a team that's been in the Super Bowl each of the last two seasons. I mean, obviously, every single game is big. But if the goal is to go to the Super Bowl, does this one feel a little bigger than the others? No, I mean, honestly, you know, no game really feels bigger than the other. I think, you know, in our building, we prepare for every single game as if, you know, it's the most important game of the season. And obviously, you know, we understand, you know, obviously having Super Bowl champions, uh, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and Tyreek Hill, we understand the challenge. It's definitely a huge challenge for us that we definitely would de- definitely take on, and we're glad to have that. But, no, we're, we're not looking at this as if, like, you know, this is the end-all, be-all, because obviously we still have our division games, that we definitely have to win those. But, I mean, it's just a huge game. You know, we understand that coming off of, of a big win Monday night in Buffalo, you know, I would, it's, that's definitely not a trap game, but, you know, having that excitement of the previous game, you want to make sure that we're just as locked in this week as we were last week after coming off a big win. So it's going to be a huge game this All week. right, so you mentioned their big three. So as a safety, what's it like to go up against Mahomes and Kelsey and Tyreek Hill in that offense? What is the key to slowing them down? Well, just like you said, I mean, you just got to slow them down. I don't think you can stop them. Uh, they just have so much explosion, especially when you're talking about a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes is kind of – kind of almost going to be the same thing with last week with uh with Josh Allen. I mean, these guys can throw off any type of platform. They could be scrambling all the way to the left and throw across throw across the field like he did in Washington uh on the line. You know, receiver never breaks stride. So, as a defensive back, as a safety, if I'm deep, I have to stay deep. I can't be running up, you know, getting nosy. If you you have man and he starts to scramble, you have to plaster on your guy, making sure he's covering your guy, and just understand that, hey, it's a bend but don't break mentality. These guys are going to make plays. We can't get too upset. We can't get too distraught about they make a play, they get a big play. We understand that. We obviously have to limit those, but we understand that we have to defend every blade of grass and we have to be great in the red zone because they may get some yards, but if they get close to the end zone, we have to stop them and force a field goal. So I want to ask you something. Clearly, you're all in. I mean, you're all in on your job, on your business, the people around you, but the people who know you know about the commitment that you and your wife have within the community as well. Earlier this year, you were involved in funding the renovation of a safe room at the Davidson County Department of Children's Services. I'm curious, how did you get involved in that project, and why was that a special project for both of you? Yeah, it's, it's, it was definitely something special. So the thing about it is, is that they actually reached out to me earlier in the year because um, they wanted me to speak at their graduation. So they usually hold a graduation every year for the kids that's in that's in the uh, the program uh, that you know want to have a high school graduation and stuff like that, or even middle school. And they wanted me to kind of just speak to the children. And so I end up touring the buildings, touring their facilities, and um, me and my wife just you know afterwards just kind of. You know, kind of just spoke to us, you know, on our hearts that, you know, maybe we should try to help these, help them, you know, renovate this space because, you know, I've had family members and cousins that's been in the foster care system. And I understand that. And that's a very traumatic, you know, situation for whoever's involved. So we just felt like, you know, being able to give them something that if they are in this situation, they have in this transition phase that they can come to a space where it's comfortable, it feels like home and it's not, you know, because it's already traumatic as it is. So, you know, that's just something that me and my wife, we like to do. We just like to try to extend grace, God's grace, uh, because he's done so much in our lives. We just want to extend it as much as we can. So that's honestly how it came about. And, uh, you know, it's just a blessing to be in a position to bless others. I think that's tremendous. Well done. Tennessee Titan safety, two-time All-Pro selection. He is a pro bowler. He is having a big year. And you've got a great matchup. Tennessee is hosting Kansas City on Sunday. Kevin Byard, my guest. Kevin, I appreciate you very much. Great to have yeah. you back. Thanks so much for that. Oh, absolutely. Thanks, Jim. Let's take a moment and talk about WinBet. 
the latest and greatest sports betting app on the market. The same five-star hotel service that you know and love is now in the digital betting space, providing an elite sports book and digital casino app. So whether you're playing money lines for NFL Week 7, totals for college football week eight or both win bet has you covered are you looking for other sports win bet has that too it's all right there for you with your win bet app win bet is also fully integrated with win rewards that means by playing win bet you can accrue points to earn free credit in app and comp dollars towards perks at win resorts discounted hotel stays, priority dining and entertainment, free merchandise. It really is the best loyalty program in the industry. Call it a win-win. Whether playing from your phone or your computer, you have absolutely got to sign up for WinBet ASAP. Bet with the best, get into the game. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Let's talk some ALCS. Now, if you want to sum up the night for the Boston Red Sox last night, I think the best way to do it, I mean, I could do it myself, but not nearly as well as Red Sox starter Chris Sale did. I was good for five and I sucked for one. That's what I'm talking about right there. That's a good soundbite. That's a good... I was good good for five and I sucked for one. I would say, hey, have a take, don't suck. That's a good take that did not suck. I was good for five, and I sucked for one. I was good for five, and I sucked for one. It's a good quote. It's a strong quote. In fact, my man, Chris Sale, actually had two strong quotes. Left my nuts out there on that mound tonight. That's for damn sure. I'll tell you what, those are two of my favorite quotes of the year. I was good for five, and I sucked for one. And I left my nuts out on that mound tonight. That's for damn sure. I left my nuts out there on that mound tonight. That's for damn sure. That is for damn sure. Beautifully said, Christopher. I don't know that I've heard an athlete go with a nut blast or drop a nut blast on the universe since Corey Crawford reinvented the victory parade speech. Race, Chicago! Biggest bunch of beauties in the league. Work their nuts off for this trophy. Woo! No one will ever take this away from us. We're the champs. Man, that gets so much better with time. That ages so well. That is the gold standard. If the standard is the standard, that is your standard right there. If you've got a possibly... Now, I can't be sure, but a possibly inebriated, possibly bleep-faced goalie screaming at a victory parade about how the biggest bunch of beauties in the league bleeping work their nuts off, that's guaranteed to be a good thing. Biggest bunch of beauties in the league work their nuts off for this trophy. What an incredible line. Biggest bunch of beauties in this league work their bleeping nuts off for this trophy. Biggest bunch of beauties in the league work their nuts off for this trophy. Let's just go ahead and assume you can put that up on the wall and that's never come down. Nobody will ever do better in a victory parade speech than that. That guy reinvented the entire genre with that. Now, all of that said, if you're a starting pitcher and you're talking about leaving your nuts out on the mound, either things went really well or really badly. 
And in the case of Sale, it was the latter. If he left his nuts on the mound last night, they got smashed. They got stomped. There was, I'll be mad, how many cups of coffee? Yo. Yeah. There was your Dan Alvarez first pitch swinging to lead off the second. And Alvarez hits it well and hits it deep to left field. And you can kiss that one goodbye. Into the monster seats for Jordan. And it's one nothing Astros. Boy, a shot the other way for Alvarez. Big number 44 puts the Astros on top. An opposite field blast. Right. I'm pretty sure Sale left that nut. Urgh. I mean, that ball hanging over the plate in a bad spot. And Alvarez did go oppo over the wall with it. Not ideal. Not ideal. And the problem is that was one of the five innings where Sale was good. Then came the one where he sucked. Again, his words, not mine. He starts that with a walk. A runner reaches on an error, and guess who's coming up again? Jordan Alvarez, the nut smasher. The guy who already had a home run and a single off sale last night. Now, again, here's where the nerds start to nerd. I'm not going to say that the decision to let Sale go through the Astros order for a third time was a terrible decision. Nor am I going to say that letting him face Alvarez for a third time was the worst idea ever. Instead, I'll just say, well, here's what happened. And the batter is Jordan Alvarez. And that one's down the line into left. What a night. Alvarez has delivered again. Two more runs will score off his bat. He's driven in all three, and it's 3-0 Astros here in the sixth. I guess what I am going to say is, if you're going to leave your nuts around the mound, best not to do it when Alvarez is around. Left my nuts out there on that mound tonight, that's for damn sure. I mean, I respect it, Chris. I respect you owning it, but you don't want to do it. You do not want to leave your nuts around the mound with Alvarez around because he'll make you pay. And then the Astros just kept piling on. It was 9-1 when they were done crushing the ball in Boston's junk. Meanwhile, Houston, a team that had terrible starting pitching in this series, bounced right back on the mound. With Valdez pitching a perfect game through four, a shutout through six, and then became the first pitcher in this postseason to actually go eight innings. Like, you want to talk about a throwback. You want to talk old school. Eight innings, Three hits, one run, 93 pitches. That's a hell of a day at the office. And that's exactly what Houston needed. Exactly the kind of performance that makes the old schoolers cry and complain and talk about how, yo, back in my day, starting pitchers didn't have pitch counts. Yeah, uh, back in my day, uh, Bob Gibson was out there on a broken stick. Yeah, uh, back in my day, uh, uh, Don Drysdale once had 1,000 pitches in one game. No, he didn't. Yeah, I understand. Back in your day, Pops, things were different. Right. Starters did not come out of the bullpen back in your day. Yeah, I get it also. Back in your day, guys probably were lighting up cigarettes during games. Right? Guys were probably smoking on the bench between the bats. I get it, Pops. The game has changed. The world has changed. Everything's different now because back in your day, every guy coming to the mound was not throwing high 90s with movement and triple digits on the block. Back in your day, Pops, 
They were not facing hitters who were studying film of at-bats during the game, checking out tendencies, and then crushing pitchers on the third time through the order. Back in your day, baseball players actually had to get a second job in the offseason. For these guys, there is no offseason. They just keep working. They don't come to spring training in order to get in shape. They're already in shape when they get there. It's a different game now, Pops. Get used to it. So what that means is the managers and analytics departments are going to make different decisions. You know, like the one to let Sale pitch to Alvarez, which happened to boomerang in a horrible way. Or like the one to use a starter out of the pen the night before, which also boomeranged in a horrible way. In fact, pretty much everything that could go wrong has gone wrong for Boston in the last two games. When the Red Sox came in, they were crushing the ball. They were murdering the ball. I mean, like, at a historic rate. They were on a record pace in games two and three. They scored three runs in the last two games, right? Let me make that point one more time. They were on a record pace going into games two and three. And then in the last couple of games, they've been outscored 18 to three. And the moment the Astros start killing it at the plate, the way they have the last two nights is the very moment people start to think and say that they're still cheating. And then they start combing video, listening for trash cans being thumped or strange whistles before pitches. It happened in the ALDS when they got over on Chicago, and it's probably happening right about now. Listen, I don't really know what is or isn't happening. I don't know if Houston is or isn't cheating. I know they're on the road, and it would seem to me it would be much tougher to rip signs on the road. But I also know that Houston was busted for cheating before. And part of the legacy of that is anytime you have success, people are going to say that you're still cheating. That's like getting caught in a lie. If somebody catches you in a lie, they will always wonder going forward, yeah, but is he telling me the truth now? Same thing with cheaters. I don't know if they are, and I don't know if they aren't. I just know that Red Sox fan had the duck boats all shined up and revved up and ready to roll only to have to head back to Houston to try to live and fight another day with those alleged cheaters. Ice up, dudes. Ice up, son. Ice up. Ice up, dudes. You got smashed nuts right now. Those are two amazing quotes by Sale. I love this guy. Left my nuts out there on that mound tonight. That's for damn sure. Biggest bunch of beauties in the league. All right, I got to talk to you for a minute about my X chair. From the first moment I sat in my X chair, my body immediately said, ah, this is nice. This is what a real office chair is supposed to feel like. Like I never actually looked forward to sitting in my office until I got my X chair. True story. Let me ask you, can your current office chair give you a massage while you're working? My X chair can. Can your current office chair heat up or cool down? My X chair can. It's all in the LMAX massage and temperature regulation exclusively designed and made for X chair. I'm talking high performance, quality engineering, extreme comfort. Those are all the reasons I love my X chair and now I can't wait to be at work. Take my advice. Try X chair for yourself, risk-free for 30 days. Once you realize how much better your chair should be, you will never, ever want to go back. 
I know this. Go to xchairrome.com. That's the letter X chair. R-O-M-E.com or call 1-844-4-X-CHAIR for $100 off your order. X-CHAIR has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort and you can finance your purchase for as little as 30 bucks a month. That's xchairrome.com, xchairrome.com. Cliff Floyd is my guest. Cliff, before we get into the postseason, it's been a minute or two since we've spoken. How you doing, man? How is life for you right now? Man, all's good, man. No complaints, just... uh you know, doing what everybody's doing, bro. Just trying to get back some normalcy, bro. It's, it's coming. It's coming, though. My man, well said. And, uh, it is coming. You know, I ain't complaining, so right. I'm working. How good. about that? Same. That's good. That's all good stuff. I grinding. appreciate it. You know what I'm saying, Jim? Grinding. Got to grind, right? You have yep. to grind. I get that. You always did. You always will. All right, so Cliff, do me a favor. Take me back before we talk about what's ahead. If you were to go back to Game 3 of the NLCS, I'm curious, what were you thinking when Cody Bellinger turned on that high fastball in the eighth inning and tied that game up? I thought he's back. This is exactly what he needed. Exactly what I thought that moment. I'm so happy for him. I know that feeling. You have to erase the regular season. You have to do it when the postseason comes. So I was just ecstatic for him to be able to put everything behind him, man. And, and you know, you can see he's starting to feel better. You can see that shoulder was starting to allow him to do some of the things. Um, but I always talk about, Jim, you, you know me, I always talk about adjustments on the fly, whether it be – you know, in you know, in and at bat or whatever you have to do in the field, whatever you have to adjust. And for him to go from hitting that, from swinging through that ninety-seven mile hour fastball right down the middle, to coming back and getting on top of ninety-seven chi by his chin, I'm like, th- th- he understands where he's at, and and that was a, it was it was just a a, a great moment for for a former player to watch a guy grind through, um, being hurt, get back into favor with the organization and favor with Dave Roberts, confident-wise, and, and, and to do what he did. Cliff Floyd is joining us. It's a great explanation by you, Cliff. And you even said prior to it happening, you thought that something good was going to happen, and then it did. You know, when you look at L.A., given how close they were in that moment being down three games to none, then they get that e- huge emotional win to make it two games to one. What do you make of the way Atlanta, Cliff, showed up last night and jumped all over the Dodgers in the second inning? Man, it's hard. You know, it's 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 a whole unit. Um, the one big thing you always prepare. Game fifty six, you still have your hitters meeting. Game eighty, you still have your hitters meeting, Jim. But the difference in the postseason is the communication throughout the whole game. Communication from pitch to pitch, talks amongst your boys in the dugout. It don't happen in game fifty six or seventy, but in the postseason, it does. It just does. It's just every moment is like let's sleep quick, get our bus back to this ballpark. We lost a tough one. Luke Jackson is our best reliever or one of the best relievers we have down in that bullpen. Hats off to Cody for getting on top of that, that fastball. Let's sleep quick and get back here, have our meetings, get on the same page and get after them. And that's what they did. I love that phrase. Let's sleep quick and get back here and get back to work. Cliff Floyd, a World Series champion and all-star, a 17-year vet, is joining us. You know, Cliff, when you look at the Braves, they will tell you, like everybody's quick to say, yeah, well, what about last year? Last year. That was last year. This is this year. We are a very different crew this time around. Are they different in your mind this year? They're different because the players are different. Yep. And I mean that in, in a way that you have different different characters. Eddie Rosario wants to be a star. He wants to be the player that takes him to the World Series. You have to buy into that. You look at you know, you look at what they're doing without their stud player, Ronald Cooner Jr., you're like, Well, who's stepping up? 
Who, who's going to be the guy? Austin Riley, that's my MVP. I've been saying it, all, I've been saying it for a long time. People are like, are you crazy? I'm like, no, are you crazy? <laughs> because when you look at Austin Riley coming from left field, going over to the third base, doing his thing, this team is full of I want to be the star, I want to be that guy. I love those type of players. When you look at that lineup through, you know, from, from top to bottom, it's length, it's strong. Um, you, you know, you have, you have guys that you, you can say supporting cast players. If you had Ronald Cooney Jr., you would have probably somebody else on the bench. If you had Jorge Soler from the COVID list, you probably have, we probably wouldn't even see Eddie Rosario doing this if Jorge was, Soler was healthy. People don't even talk about that. Jim, you know what I'm saying? So when you think about what Snickers doing with this lineup, it's constructive for me to the point where these guys are hungry enough to not even th- – I don't even think they think about last year. I really don't even think they think about it. I think they're, they're, they're gone from that in a position where they feel like we're going to go out here tonight, take care of business, and get back to the World Series. And they haven't been there since when? 19, well, how, how long has it been? Since 1999. Been 1999. I mean, that's been – I mean, you think about all these great Braves teams, and they haven't been there in that long. These, these guys ain't thinking about that. We're talking to Cliff Floyd. Cliff, I love that point you just made about that, that not only do you want a guy that wants to be the guy, but if you've got a clubhouse for those guys, you're not going to lose very often. Like Rosario made a point blank or said a point blank. Like, I want people to know what I'm about. I want to yeah. be that guy. I want to be here. Another guy clearly who I would say that about, is Jock Peterson. Man. He, right? He's got that same <clears throat> it. Cliff, lay this out for me. Why is it, how can you explain that some guys literally live for those moments and other guys really will never, ever thrive in those moments? How does that work? It's a personality thing that, you know, you have to, you have to really think about what our sport is. And our sport is, you, you, you're going to fail. You're going to fail at our sports. But the fear of failing is what consumes most of us. And I say most of us because I've been in that moment when you stink, there's nothing about me wanting to get on deck and go in that box. I'm just telling you I'm keeping it 100. I love that. So when, so when these cats come up and be like, oh, I want that moment, three and two, you know, two outs. But no, you don't. You really don't. Some cats really don't. But when you think about Jock Peterson, when you watch him, Jim, does it look like anything, uh, like, scares him? or Nothing. Like, gets under his skin. Like, he, he plays free. He he understands where he's at. He's made the adjustments. He's getting close to the dish. He's changed his stance. And now he's saying, look, I went from playing every day to adjusting to a role that I might not like, but I'm, I'm okay with it. But he's put himself in a position where he can still be a star. And I, that, that in itself is enough for me to just hats off to him and, and cheer for him every time he plays the game. We are talking to Cliff Lloyd. He's breaking it all down for us. All right, Cliff, so finally, if you're Dave Roberts and you know you've come back from three games to one before and did so against the same Braves team, but not the same Braves team, but did so last year, like what is your message to your team tonight before a bullpen game when you're going against their ace? You know what? I think the message is, boys, we've been here before. We just won the World Series last year. I know last year is last year. We, we, we've dealt with adversity. You have they have just just as much adversity as anybody else. I mean, you lost, you know, your your clubhouse leader, your stud, you know, all time guy, and you know, uh, Justin Turner. Obviously, Max Muncy is a, is a glaring hole without him in, in in the lineup. But so you know, you you can't cry over that. You got you, who who's gonna step up? Chris Taylor, you go to third. You've been there. You super utility. Cody Bellinger, you go out to center field, take care of business. I, I you know, you have to just say you as as hard as it is. The next man up mentality is a must for them. 
sometimes you say it and it's sort of eyewash and you don't really, you know, it's next man up mentality and you're like, yeah, well, who's the next man up? Who's the guy? Because there's no next man up, then you're just talking outside your neck. So I think when you look at what they have, they have the talent to be able to make up for what they don't have. Even though it's a huge loss, you still have great bodies to go fill those holes and, and be able to get back in the series. I know, it's a, I know it's a bullpen day, but the Braves just beat you with the same philosophy. So return a favor to them and get back in the series. I mean, I should have known better, Cliff. I, I really thought going into yesterday's game with Urias going a 20-game winner against the Braves on a bullpen day, things were great for L.A., but you see Urias, you could see it right from the very jump, right? He just was not himself. The ball didn't have that same kind of Urias sort of jump normally. Like, is that just a bad night, or is that what's going to happen if you bring a guy like that out of the bullpen and pitch him four times in 11 days? And Sometimes I think we think these guys are robots. I really do. I just think that you think – because they're so good and so talented that they can just grab the ball, high leverage innings, high leverage pitches every single time and go out there and be a star. It ain't, it ain't happen that way. You had guys on the other side that's preparing for you. And you know what they're preparing for, Jim? For you not to be great. That's what we're preparing for. We're hoping that, you know, you, you come out there and have this look on your face that you, we, we, we sort of can feed off of and know that you're not feeling 100% because if the ball come off the fingertips without, without the confidence that I've seen in the past of that guy in the regular season, then that's all we need. We only need an inch to take a mile. So you have to – you're fighting against guys who are chomping at the bit to get to you while they have a chance. We know when you're at your, when, when you're at your best, Max Scherzer and some of these other guys, Chris Sale, I'm not going to beat you when you're at your best. But if you give me a glimmer of hope, I got to shot the title. We're going to take advantage of it, and that's what, that's what we've been seeing. And guys know that, too. They know it. They see it. They understand it. Cliff Floyd joining me for another moment or two. This is such a great conversation, Cliff. Appreciate you so much. What about the ALCS before you go? If you could just jump oh. into that really quickly. You know, how, how is it that you go from a series where Boston is dominating and they're up two games to one, and now they have to win a game six just to stay alive? How did that thing flip so quickly? The Astros' bats finally woke up. And just said, enough's enough. I mean, you, you have a game where you're sitting there 2-1. You have to win this game, right? And, and, then, and then floodgates open. They score, what, jump seven runs in the eighth and seven, eight runs in the eighth and ninth inning to win that game. The, the, the thing about our game is one mistake, one extra out, anything that gives you a, a, just an opportunity to score a few more runs, it can happen with deep lines. It can happen with really good ones. It's not just the three, four, or five hitters of a lineup, and then it's like, well, you know, you can cruise through six through nine. No, it's, it's not that easy. So when you look at these lineups with the length that they have, I think it just shows you that the Astros are for real. You can, you can talk to you blue in the face about, well, you know, the, the Red Sox have set records and, and ten hits and, 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 you know, six postseason games and all this stuff. Great. But what have you done the last couple games? The Astros have turned this thing right back around. And it's because, as a group, they said enough's enough. They, they're attacking the strike zone. They don't care who's on the mound. And it starts in the first inning. It's like, we're not going to stop until we just beat you down. And that's how they feel right now. And, they, and, and right now, they, they control this series. Cliff, let me ask you really quickly. Like You were making the point about Jose Altuve's home run that tied Game 4. And you made the point that it came off a fastball from Garrett Whitlock if you're Whitlock and you know you have a good fastball, but you also know that Altuve loves hitting fastballs, like what is the decision-making process like there? Do you just say, my best is going to beat his best, or would it have been better to go with something else to start? 
Well, first and foremost, that's how we eat. You know that, right? I mean, that's <laughs> right. how we eat, eat as hitters. Like, we, we hoping you think that your fastball can just beat me consistently. And we go back to game two. He saw seven of them. You threw him seven fastballs. Jose Altuve, seven fastballs. And he just missed one. One got in on him. So he, you know he's all he's doing is waiting to get his timing right. And once he got it, he was like, I'm good. I dare you to throw it. And I just, I just, I mentioned it because I'm like, don't you have to take him? You have to tell him, we know your fastball is good. We know you're one of the most dominant close, I mean, relievers in the game. We get it. You had a great year. But this is Jose Altuve. This is 21 homers in 71 games. This is third all-time postseason homers-wise. Like, you have to be able to throw him a wrinkle and then get you a fastball. I have, nothing, I have no problems with you throwing a fastball, just not the first pitch. Have we not seen him swing at every first pitch of every first game? I mean, every, every start of a game? That's what he does. So I just thought you have to, you have to sort of, you know, get, you know, take these guys sometimes, you know, great fastballs, um, great success, and go, let, let, let's chill and let's figure out something else because this guy is too good to just throw – Split the plate with a 96-mile-hour fastball. We saw what happened when he threw it. Mm. All right, so the four remaining teams in the postseason, who do you think has the best chance to win it all? That's a great question, man. You know, we had a great conversation, Jim, until you get to this. You know I mean? Oh, no, uh, we're still having. A, no, we're still going to have a great conversation. And it's going to end think, great, too. I know yeah, it is. You know what? I'm telling you, man, the Astros seem – like it's just something. I know people are like, man, here he go with this, but they just look different. I I was waiting for him to look different, and now it's like, see, this is what it is. During the regular season, we were so we were so talking about who's going to win the wild card. The, you know, the Yankees was this. We had the, we had the wild card. I mean, we had the division going on in the West in the NL. It was all this talk, and it was like, oh wait, the Astros without Justin Verlander, without George Springer, with losing Gary Cole, without Lance McCullers Jr. And look where they are. I, I just think it's remarkable. I do too. And I'm not surprised by it. I think it's like you keep waiting, you keep waiting, you keep waiting, waiting, and then here the hell they are, man. They showed up and they showed up at just the right time, whether we like it or not. And yeah. I agree with you. You see, and I, the only thing I disagree with, no, see, that interview is awesome, Cliff. It's always great when you come on, and it <laughs> did end as well as it started. So you stand corrected, my man. It's my still a great interview. My guy, appreciate dude, you are you, the man. best, Cliff. I appreciate right, you bro. so much. That was great. Great talking to you, man. Thank you. No doubt you too. Now, Wednesday, though, is a sports night. That's not necessarily the same thing. Generally, it can be pretty slow midweek, but not last night. Last night, there was so much going on. In fact, almost too much going on. You had to be real handy with the remote last night if you were going to maximize the entire experience because you had Atlanta smashing L.A. We talked about that. You had App State in Coastal Carolina getting it on. They went right down to the wire. And then you had the New York Knicks. The last time anybody saw the New York Knicks in a game that mattered, they were getting absolutely humiliated by Trey Young. Remember? Nick fans had gotten themselves all worked up about the team last year, only to see Trey Young come into MSG and burn that place right to the ground. However, in their defense, and I say this with respect, there is no fan base like the New York Knicks fan base. Nearly a half a century a half a century without a title, some of the most dysfunctional ownership and front offices that you could ever imagine 
And yet the fans still act like they're the center of the NBA universe. Like, I almost have to respect it. And last night, I think I'd have to agree. Because Celtics-Knicks at the Garden last night was not just a great season opener. I mean, that literally was one of the best ever. One of the best all-time ever. Genuinely and completely bat bleep crazy. And I'm not even talking about just Obi Toppin bringing down the house with this dunk. Rebound inside, Langford blocked by Fournier. Fournier now rolls, Toppin in for the slam. And the Knicks have regained the lead. Timeout, Boston. I mean, say what you want about the Knicks fans, and you can say quite a bit, but there is no sound quite like Madison Square Garden when it explodes. I mean, I don't know any other building that sounds like that building when it's going off. It's unlike anything in sports. So when a visiting player runs a dagger through the Knicks, there's nothing like that sound either. And Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart did exactly that in the final seconds of regulation last night. Here's Brown down four with just seconds to go. Brown comes free. Fournier on him. Throws up a long three-pointer. All right, so that made it a one-point game. Then Julius Randle hits a pair of clutch free throws to make it a three-point game. And then only the Knicks, only the Knicks could allow something like this to happen. Tatum falls down, floats it ahead to Schroeder. Schroeder for Smart. He's got to look at the buzzer. Got it! Marcus Smart drills a three, and the Celtics have forced overtime on opening night. Oh, heartbeat still. Give me my banana sandwich now. They always say smart can't shoot, but damn it, when you need it, he's on point. That, of course, would be Cedric Maxwell. I'm not sure what was better, the shot from smart or the shots of Spike Lee, Dustin Hoffman, and the rest of the garden. Like, Spike has seen it all, and yet he still looks stunned. Dustin, I don't even know what to make of him. Like, he looked confused, bemused, bewildered, something. But it was an amazing moment. Like, one of the most Nick moments ever, even for the Knicks. Like, they seemed to go way out of their way to screw up every part of that play, and it was hilarious. <laughs> but if you thought that was hilarious, just wait until you see overtime, because then it just got ridiculous. Brown for three. Brown sets, fires, and hits a three. Evan Fournier for three. Fournier tries to even it up, and he does. Fournier for three again. Just 23 minutes. Fournier back to back. When did Evan Fournier turn into Steph Curry and Reggie Miller combined? And he still wasn't done. Fournier puts it in. Evan Fournier. I mean, now it's just completely ridiculous. Marcus Smart for three. Back to Tatum, double team. Brown, extra pass, Smart, corner three. Got it. R.J. Barrett for three. Cross court to Barrett. Barrett tries a three. It's good. Raining threes here at MSG. Jason Tatum for three. Robert Williams kicks it out. Tatum tries another one. What a ball game. That's it. Four straight threes. Nobody could miss. The hell was going on there? Then we go to a second OT. 
If I was as gassed as I was just watching that game from home, I can't imagine how the dudes who were playing felt. They had to be dragging. And I mean dragging. Mitchell Robinson was barely able to make it up and down the floor. After the Knicks finally did win, Julius Randle could barely even conduct a post-game interview. I can't wait to go home and lay in the bed, I swear. <laughs> I don't even know if I'm hungry enough to eat. I'm so tired to play. I don't know what I played, but first game back, whew. Joyce, I hear you, my man. I was watching the game, and I could not wait to lay in a bed. I wasn't sure if I was hungry enough to eat either. I mean, it's so easy to clown the Knicks and their fans, especially after the team dropped that really weird Dune-inspired graphic on social media that made no sense whatsoever. But last night was a great, great garden moment. For the last few years, the only great garden moments have involved the Big East Tournament or the Westminster Kennel Club dog show or some visiting player coming in and lighting the Knicks on fire. Last night, though, it was about the Celtics and the Knicks, and the Knicks actually won. I got to admit, I'm kind of shocked. I'm shocked because normally after blowing a lead at the end of regulation the way they did, they lose that game. There's no way they win that game. And then they look up into the rafters and they wonder why the Billy Joel banner is more significant than any of the Knicks basketball banners from the past 45 years. These guys are walking around looking up at the rafters and all they see is BJ. But not last night. Not last night. Last night. The Knicks found a way to win. They didn't stagger off the floor and look up into the rafters and see Billy Joel jumping a curb and driving into somebody's house. No. The Knicks found a way to finish. Man, they were able to grind it out. They didn't go into the tank when they went into OT. They didn't quit. They won. And for those of you who like to clown and mock the owner, including yours truly, for at least one night, we've got to keep that in our back pocket. For at least one night, we have to wear it because they showed some grit. They did finish. They actually left us no choice but to put some respect on them. So if I'm cracking them every time they have a bad night, I have to hype them when they have a good night. And last night was the best night in the Garden in a long time, at least from a basketball standpoint. It was incredible. question now is, can they start to stack those nights? Is that a one-off, or are we talking about a team finding its new normal? Because the old normal was embarrassing, unwatchable, laughable basketball. Time will tell. But in the meantime, have yourself a day, Knicks fan. Hell, have yourself a week because it's probably been years since you felt that feeling. Man, I got to admit, it kind of feels good. Kind of set me free. It feels kind of nice to do a positive Knicks take. It feels pretty damn good to do a Knicks take and not have to tag it and remind everyone about this bullcrap. Wash away my troubles. Wash away my pain. With the rain and shine by Wash away my sorrow. Wash away my shame. With the rain and shine by
I want my money back. I paid good money for this. You think you feel bad? How about the Knicks fans that paid good money to get in that house and watch basketball? Anyway, it's just so good not to have to do that. I'm so glad that I can do a Knicks take and not have to play this bullcrap. Or reset about how he throws out a legendary figure from yesteryear. Or a fan who's got a sign. Or even worse, play some of that bullcrap music that he creates. Feels good not to have to do that. Shout out to the Knicks, man. What a great game that was. You see, I'm not here to hate. I'm here to just tell you what I see. If they keep doing that, I'll keep hyping them. I've got no agenda. My only agenda is to re respond to what I see. And what I saw last time from the Knicks was an amazing game. And an amazing moment in the garden. Feels good, man. Good on you, Knicks fan. You earned it. You deserve it. And best of all, I'm just glad that I could get through an entire Knicks take without playing any of that bullcrap music from Dolan. Wash away my troubles. Wash away my pain. Why are you here? I thought to hear good music. Good night now!